This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen here with you. About 63,000 new cases of kidney cancer will occur this year alone in the United States, and approximately 14,000 people will die from this disease. Well, here to help us understand this deadly disease and what can be done to treat it is Dr. Oleg Shapiro. He's Associate Professor of Urology, Associate Professor of Radiation Oncology, and the Vice Chairman of the Department of Urology at Upstate Medical University. Welcome, Dr. Shapiro. Good morning, Thanks Linda. so much for coming in. So kidney cancer is seems to be is a deadly disease, but it seems to be on the rise. Explain that. Tell us about that. So uh, we're not really sure if it's truly on the rise or we're just detecting it better. Uh, as, as you know, a lot of people, when they come to the emergency department or they go to the primary care physician, they get CAT scans for a variety of uh, complaints. And uh, we uh, pick up uh, this disease, incidentally, in vast majority of cases in uh, 2016. Um, so the uh, rise in incidence may actually be somewhat artificial is because we're finding it more often. How about the death rate, though? Are, is that increasing, decreasing? Where are we at with that? So unfortunately, the death rate stays fairly stable. Um, it's because we don't have a very good uh, option to treat uh, advanced kidney cancer. Uh, so uh, we're always taught that the death rate is un unfortunately about 30 uh, percent, and uh, and then that has been staying relatively stable over the course of decades now. Is it because it's difficult? You said other than these incidental. Uh, opportunities to find it. Is it difficult to uh, diagnose or is it something that is more silent in terms of its showing up, and much like lung cancer where it's more advanced when you finally find it? Th that's absolutely correct. So uh, most of the uh, kidney cancer is actually silent until it's quote unquote too late. Uh, so people do not have symptoms. And again, it's mostly an incidental finding. The other problem is, and I'm not sure we're going to get to that a little bit later, is that it's not responsive to chemotherapy and radiation therapy. So um, the, the treatment options are fairly limited, and I'm sure we will be talking about it Yeah, at some I want to get into yeah. that in much more detail. When we say renal cell carcinoma, which is another term I've heard when referring to kidney cancer, explain the difference. What exactly is that? So renal, obviously, is kidney, and uh, renal cell carcinoma is, is the most common type of, of kidney cancer. Unfortunately, it's one of the more aggressive types. Um, there are multiple subtypes of kidney cancer that exist, but uh, renal cell carcinoma is the most, uh, is the most common, and uh, clear cell is the most common of that. So that's... Uh, basically a name for kidney cancer, a more medical term for kidney cancer. Do we have any idea what causes it to occur? Um, so we're not clear on that. Uh, smoking is a risk factor, but I have to be honest, it's not as high of a risk factor as it is for lung cancer or bladder cancer. Uh, obesity is a risk factor. Uh, high blood pressure, hypertension is a risk factor. Um, but uh, we do not have a clear-cut reason as to why that happens. Some uh, of these uh, of these patients actually do have family history of, of kidney cancer, which is also uh, important. In the sense that there may be some kind of genetic underlying predisposition to getting it. Absolutely. There's that we, we definitely know there are syndromes associated with it. They're not very common, but they do exist. And uh, we are starting to realize that more and more of these uh, cancers are actually familial. Does dialysis or being on dialysis make you more predisposed also potentially uh, to developing a kidney cancer? We are always taught that patients with end-stage renal disease who are on dialysis actually do have a higher rate of developing kidney cancer. The question is whether they, uh, they are found to have more, more of this cancer because they're surveilled more. 
In other oh. words, they get ultrasounds routinely. They get some kind of a radiologic study routinely by the nephrologist, and that's how we find the disease. So we were saying it's silent in, until it's advanced. How would someone know what would the symptoms be at any point? Well, uh, in the early stages of this disease, there are really no symptoms. Um, even if the tumor grows to be very large, there may be no symptoms. Really? But that's correct. But but if if the disease becomes advanced, people can start developing pain. They can start they can start developing blood in the urine, um, and uh, they can actually uh, have a, a mass in their flank that they can feel. But these days, it's fairly rare to have that triad, what we call a triad of kidney cancer. Do they have weight loss as well, that kind of wasting that goes on? Uh, unfortunately, it's the one of the la later stages of the disease. So how do you begin to diagnose it? In other words, obviously there's this incidental occurrence, but once someone complains of any of these symptoms you've just outlined, what do you do? How do you diagnose? So if somebody complains of uh, these symptoms, they usually get a radiologic workup, which will include a CAT scan. And um, uh, the CAT scan usually is a telltale sign of, of, uh, of this disease. And if we do see a big kidney mass, um, you know, that has to be treated uh, fairly aggressively and fairly quickly. Is that the, is that the, um, the definitive radiologic methodology? Usually, the CAT scan versus, let's say, an MRI or some other? Usually CT is a, is a uh, very good starting point, and most of the time that's all we need to, to make a diagnosis. Do you do like a physical exam? Do you do blood chemistry? I mean, are there other things that go along with it or is simply the, the imaging? Well, of course, when we see the patient, we do a history and we do a physical exam and, and subsequently we get urine tests and we get blood work. Uh, the blood work is very important to see what the kidney function is and that will help you plan further therapy. Um, but the CT truly is the most uh, important study that, that we do because that will tell us, the anatomy will tell us how big the tumor is, has it spread somewhere else, and then we can tailor the treatment based on that. Are there other tests that you have to do to determine its spread? For example, um, where does it generally spread to, and what are the kinds of testing you might want to be doing? So kidney tumors would, uh, would spread to the lymph nodes right nearby, so the same CT will tell us that information. Uh, but we also would obtain a CAT scan of the lungs, of the chest, uh, if the tumor is big enough, we, uh, and that will tell us if whether this has spread to the lungs. We may also obtain a bone scan to make sure that it has not spread to the bone, which is also a, a, an area where these uh, tumors like to go. So it has so it has a certain kind of pattern in terms of its spread. It likes to go to the lungs. Does it have to do with the type of cell, the cell type, or is it is it just the... It has to do with the blood flow, um, and mm -hmm. the most common uh, sites are lymph nodes and then, and then the lungs. Mm. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen, along with urologist Dr. Oleg Shapiro, and we're talking about kidney cancer, renal cell carcinoma. So it's, you were saying earlier on, as we were just beginning to chat, that the treatment is really kind of limited these days, and it's always been somewhat limited. What exactly is the treatment of choice? Well, the treatment of choice for, for uh, localized, and localized meaning kidney cancer that has stayed in the kidney, is, is surgical, and uh, this tumor has to be removed. Um, we do this uh, most of the time robotically or laparoscopically now, so the patients have a much quicker recovery. They usually go home the next day. 
Um, and So let me interject here. So yeah. when you say that, help us understand what you mean exactly is taking place. Does that mean that you don't necessarily do a large open incision? You use more minimal, smaller little keyhole incisions. Explain what, what you actually Correct. do. Correct. You, what I like to explain to my patients, you have a couple of bullet holes in the, in the belly. You have uh, small, small incisions, which obviously helps recovery. The, the robot helps us with visualization, decreased blood loss. It's not used for every single case, but, but the vast majority of the time, that's what we're able to use. And we're also able to save the kidney by removing just the tumor and leaving the rest of the healthy kidney behind because we know that the more kidney one has, the better off they are in the long term. So in the next 10, 20, 30 years of their life, they benefit from having that extra kidney tissue that was left behind. Sometimes it's impossible to leave that behind, and we have to take the whole kidney, which is okay because most people can live with, with one kidney. But ideally, we preserve as much of the kidney, healthy kidney tissue as possible. And how do you determine that in terms of well, during the surgical procedure or even and prior to that, you see the size of the kidney, and then you go in and you do this minimally invasive attempt to take care of it. You have to look for margins and see if it has spread further. Is that how you know how much kidney to take? Right. So we usually know from the CAT scan prior to surgery whether we'll be able to, to do that, what we call a partial nephrectomy, or removing just the tumor. So we're going into surgery knowing what our plan is. Uh, and then the rest of it, you're absolutely right. We have to check for margins, but usually comes with experience. When we cut out, we, we know that we got in, into the tumor, and then we have to go deeper. Or, or we are okay and we have to just leave it alone, suture the kidney back up and, and, and get out, if you will. If someone's living with just one kidney and has had that kidney removed due to renal cell carcinoma, what concerns, what types of care, you know, what goes forward with that type of so we circumstance? Always... Well, first of all, there's no following with chemo or radi radiation, correct? Well, that, that is correct. So, so again, the treatment is surgical. Uh, we do have to follow these patients with uh, radiologic studies such as CAT scans for basically the rest of their life. It, it's more frequent in the beginning after the surgery, but then it becomes less and less frequent as time goes on. Is it likely that if they've had kid, uh, cancer in one kidney, what's the likelihood that it might recur in the other? So that's a great question. It's a complicated question. It depends on the grade of the cancer, how aggressive it was to begin with, on the size. There are a lot of different factors go into this, but unfortunately, the cancer likes to recur. That's what its job. That's why I was born. Mm -hmm. so, so these patients have to be followed, even though deep inside, as a physician, I may think that they're quote-unquote cured. I don't like to use that word because the, pay, the the cancer does recur, and we have to follow these patients truly for the rest of their life. And that might have is that possibly because there's been some maybe microscopic metastasis of some of those cancer cells elsewhere to the next kidney over and what have you, and you you can't really know that. Absolutely, absolutely. You never know if one cell has escaped and it's laying dormant somewhere and may lay there for 20 years, and we're not sure what triggers it to wake up. So what's the prognosis then? I mean, it, and, and obviously there's no help with radiation, there's no help with chemo. Once you've had renal cell carcinoma and it's been successfully, let's say, surgically removed, what's the prognosis for those patients? The prognosis is very good. It depends, again, on the grade, the size, and whether it has spread or metastasized or not. But if it's a small, what we call localized kidney tumor, uh, people are quote unquote cured, and and uh, they tend, they can recur, it, it, but it's very unlikely. So, but patients have to be followed. So this is this is the very important part. So if it's caught early, it can be cured. 
And so do you do that annually? I mean, how do you determine how frequently to CAT scan so, them? So it depends on the grade. Again, if the higher grade cancers, we scan them more often than lower grade cancers because, again, the common sense will tell you that the recurrence rates are higher for higher grade or more Does that aggressive mean a, tumors. A more aggressive cancer, a cell grade type. Means more aggressive, correct. Yep. So um, what, what are, there, are there any methods of prevention? Are there any things you can say to patients if they have a family history of this kind of thing or if, in fact, they've had an experience with renal cell carcinoma, are there any things that they can do lifestyle-wise, you know, to help prevent recurrence? So what I usually tell my patients, obviously smoking is a very important uh, factor. So if they can quit smoking, that's a big plus. Uh, losing weight is a big plus. Uh, controlling diabetes, controlling blood pressure. Um, those are the main things that, that one can do to really decrease their risk, if you will, of, of developing this disease. One of the things I didn't ask you is, this, is this increase, the likelihood of this or its prevalence increase with age, or is it not age-related necessarily? It, it is age-related just like every other cancer. Uh, so the older we get, the more likely we get the disease, although going back to our, one of our first questions is the incidence is going up and we start seeing it more and more in young people because and, everybody gets scanned. And no one really knows why. Th that's correct. And nobody really knows why. What if we didn't find that tumor? What would happen in, with that person in 20, 30 years? And we truly don't know the answer because a lot of these tumors, they don't grow. They don't metastasize. But some do. And it's very difficult to, at this point, to tell which is which. It's a little sounds a little bit like prostate cancer in the sense that, I mean... We don't always know how aggressive a particular type of prostate cancer can be. Th that's correct. But prostate cancer is a lot more uh, prevalent and a lot more indolent uh, disease. Not, not as aggressive. Not as aggressive. Kidney cancer is the most aggressive urologic malignancy there is. So a lot of people do die. A, lot, a high percentage of people do die from this disease. In the very little bit of time you have left, what's in your crystal ball? What's on the horizon to, to try to cure this disease? Genetics. So g gene therapy, uh, like every other cancer, is going to be the uh, way to go. Uh, we will be finding uh, faulty genes, and hopefully we'll be fixing them or substituting them with healthy genes, and that hopefully will be preventing the disease or, or curing the disease, but that's unfortunately years and years away at this point. Thank you so much. This was such an important overview on this very important disease. I appreciate your coming in. My guest has been Dr. Oleg Shapiro. He's Associate Professor of Urology, Associate Professor of Radiation Oncology, and the Vice Chairman of the Department of Urology at Upstate Medical University. I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air.